This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin. I'm not joined by Mawera Karatai today because she's in Wellington, but I am joined from Wellington by Tim Packer. He's a permaculture practitioner and he works in IT. Welcome, Tim. Thanks, Sam. How was your bubble life? Um, it was relatively pleasant, I think, compared to others. It was, uh, from a work side, we're able to um, work remotely, so there was actually no difference in terms of work and how we did our work because we're software developers. Uh, and at home, I had um, uh, my youngest, Brody, and our part- my partner, Shah, and um, we were uh, pretty comfortable here playing cards most days, uh, baking sourdoughs and, and in between work meetings. So. A lot of Zooms, let's put it that way. And um, when I could, sneaking up to the community garden, which isn't too far from where I live. So you're working from home? Uh, not right now, but I did, yeah. So uh, through lockdown, but we're um, the business I work for is an essential service provider working in the energy and finance market. So once we got past lockdown, we had a bit more flexibility around work arrangements and, and uh um, I work in sort of inner city CBD, which isn't too far from home as well. So, you know, it was a, a fairly flexible arrangement for sure. But uh, today I've been working from home, which has been really nice because it's been really stormy today. <laughs> Is that something which you're doing more of, working from home? Yeah, generally, uh, you know, our work's fairly flexible in the in the fact that we generally leave it up to most folks to make their own calls but we, we kind of like to have folks in on Mondays um, and on Fridays generally on Fridays we all get together and um, get some coffees and and some some baking goods and have a good chat about the week so um, you know but but apart from those we sort of generally leave it to everyone and our team are all software developers so you know they they can work uh, very easily from home as long as they've got their laptops and an IT environment around them they're happy it's difficult to put the post-it notes up all over the the windows and walls, though. Oh, it's funny, mate. I, I know. I think, um, like, I'm a, a business developer, you know, by trade. So I'm not a developer. I, I work with developers, but um, you know, you can have so many zooms. But I tell you what, face-to-face meetings are always so much better. So I mean, you know, Zoom's great, and and, and all the. Um, all the video conferencing tools that we've literally had to grab onto and, and, and that's been a bit of a saviour in terms of having nice chats with people but there's nothing like face-to-face, is there? No. Although we did enjoy, as you said, we, you did enjoy that time of being at home and having that a bit more flexibility and that expectation changing that, that, it, that it's okay that this afternoon we're baking bread because we might work hard tomorrow or do more tonight or something. Oh, yeah. And, and look, um, from a work perspective, I mean, we delivered um, uh, support programs that we, I, I was part and parcel of a program we developed called The Golden Ticket, which is how to help startups that want to scale up and um, getting industry advice to help them. And... Um, we delivered those sorts of programs entirely remotely, whereas before we kind of would have thought we'd have to have face-to-face workshops. And uh, we delivered a software solution to an Australian energy customer, you know, so all of those things just became possible because they had to be. And um, that was really nice. And then you sort of got the ability to be quite flexible at home. So, you know, I kind of tried to master the art of sourdough as a lot of people did and, and uh, 
that would mean sort of having a meeting and then running back down to the kitchen <laughs> and needing some dough and then running back up and trying to schedule that, which I thought was really, really fun, right? So, Particularly in software and business development, we talk about innovation and agile and disruption as if it's a thing. Mm. But then when we're really disrupted, it turns out we can really change. Were we kidding ourselves yeah. before? That's, it's a good question. I think um, to certain extents, people are at various levels of what you might call agile, right? Um, but I tell you what, I, I attended the um, Public Service Awards in Wellington a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was just astounding to see some of the projects that actually won those awards, all because people that would normally do tasks in months decided they had to do them in days or, or, or weeks, and they happened. You know, and we're talking public service. So it was really, for me, I sort of, I left that awards night going, jeepers, we, we are very lucky we live in New Zealand and we've got all these good people that want to help other people. So, you know, it was a, it was a really nice moment. Right? So, and um, we had our, um, Brody was um, my young one. He was there, nominated for a Young Leader of the Year Public Service Award. So it was just stunning to see him up there. Cool. What did he do to get nominated for that? Uh, he, he's really been big on promoting um, LGBT rights and the Rainbow Network across uh, across the public sector. So really collaborating across um, various government departments uh, to actually sort of bring communities together and help um, help develop sort of standards around um, things like pronouns and, and such like. So you know, it's it's uh, really his passion and. and uh, you know, luckily his work was really supportive and, and and they wanted him to do that, so it's fantastic. That's cool. Let's take the first of your music choices. I'm playing them in this order. Let's have Cold Chisel forever now. Why this one? Oh, look, at heart, I'm a bit of an upper hut bogon, so i um, born and raised in upper hut, and uh, I, I grew up on all that really uh, uh, bogony music, and Cold Chisel was, uh, was my go-to, so... Forever Now has to be on record my favourite song of all time.
So business development and IT, but also community gardens and permaculture. What's a nice business developer like you being interested doing being interested in permaculture? Good question. I, I um, you know, whenever I'm not working, I, I literally do find myself at the community garden, and, and I've been involved with one particular garden called Innermost Community Gardens. It's only five minutes from the CBD in Wellington. Uh, I've been involved in that garden for 13 years now. So, um, you know, that really comes from, uh, I suppose, training and, and, and pursuits around permacultural regenerative um, agriculture, which in turn um, leads itself to regenerative communities and villages. And I sort of found a home with community gardens where you could grow really good spuds, but meet also lovely people and then also do some good for the community. So it's um, definitely my happy place. What got you into that sort of thing? Uh, I, th- I think, uh, you know, uh, back in the day, it was sort of the, the late 90s, Sam. I was actually travelling the world as a, uh, again as a technologist and, and uh, I was living in um, Denver at the time and, and I did a lot of international travel and, and to be honest, I just started seeing firsthand the sort of, you know, the destruction of forests and, and, and the environment and... Uh, for me, I had a very young family there at the time, and I just thought, how does one lead by example in terms of this big problem that we all face, and now that's called climate change and, and what have you. Um, so that led me to permaculture, and then you know the need and the desire to find people that it could mean to me, and, and, that, and that's where community gardens became quite an important place because that's where there was a lot of uh, productive practical action and, and activism around the environment at the time. People are talking about the COVID pandemic giving us an opportunity for a, a reset, but then other people talk about a recovery back to business mm. as usual. What can we take from regenerative practice to better think about how we might regenerate or do something different? I um so I have some strong opinions on this. We actually conducted a research project with Victoria University and Wellington City Council on the on the value of community gardens. And and I think the community gardens themselves, for people that are involved in them, they understand intuitively all the benefits that can come from community gardens, both on a sort of social um perspective, health perspective and economic environment, civil service, local food production. There's, there's so many benefits, but it's really hard for community gardens to tell that story. And so I have sort of previous lives in smart cities where we really focused on evidence-based decision-making and creating agnostic data sets. So we kicked off a research project to actually try and quantify um, the, the value of community gardens so that any community garden can tell a better story. And, and um, what we saw in COVID to me was just, um, stunning because we saw a whole lot of the value activated uh, through community gardens and in lockdown you saw people you know walking through community gardens on their daily recreation um, we, we saw a lot of collaboration and coordination around you know creating local food and, and getting that food to you know those in the community that needed it the most um, so it's kind of like you know um, I used to call them victory gardens. I think, you know, that's a, a really nice term around how communities can activate in a crisis. And for me, I see a real potential for community gardens to be the cornerstone of future villages. And if you think of cities, maybe just think about the streets in those cities and one street to the next street as a small village community where we can connect people through those green spaces. We can grow really good food. We can look after people. Um, and we can do that in such a way that's regenerative for not only the people but for the environment as well. So I really see a sort of back-to-basics approach about how we can approach local villages within our cities and our urban communities, and I see green spaces, if if they're activated properly, as um, a sort of cornerstone of those villages. What role do you see for computing in that kind of future? Is, are you seeing some sort of green utopia, green technical utopia? Oh, no, look, look um, technical things are just 
tools, right? Tools need people to drive them. Um, and, and from my perspective, I see things like technology helping us actually quantify more value out of things like compost, for instance. You know, a good example is we, we worked on a um, carbon calculator with Victoria University for our compost operation, and then we added um, Q codes on the side of the compost pile so the public could actually scan a Q code and then actually answer about 10 questions about why they bother. And for me, that was stunning because we could quantitatively work out things like potential GHG you know, emission reduction, but then we could also work out that, you know, in our case, uh, nearly 95% of the people that delivered that compost did so because they felt personally empowered against climate change, right? And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't had some sort of way to combine a phone with a Q code um, with a Google form. So, you know, I think there's, there's, there's power in those tools if we use them appropriately. Yeah, that's, that's a quite a different story from a, an efficiency, you know, computing is going to deliver us a, a perfectly efficient system that just operates reducing supposedly reducing footprint because it's doing so with with um with with greater efficiency but we always we know that there's big rebound effects and it just makes it worse so it's really encouraging to see somebody working in those spaces and seeing that that relationship in a in a positive in a positive way yeah and i i think sam i mean and you come from the same ilk you know you're very practical based with a lot of the work that you do and and i I think um, there's, there's, there's the bad potential in technology to sort of greenwash things, right? And, and uh, you know, we need to avoid that. What, what the world needs is practical action and to use technology in such a way that it facilitates or um, enables that practical action, right? So, um, you know, those, those for me are key things. And, and, and sure, energy efficiency and all those sorts of things and the way we use technology can help bridge a lot of gaps that we haven't been able to bridge before. So, so there is real promise and potential, but I don't see technology solving all of our problems. Let's put it that way. So, did you mean you managed to get to the garden enough that it wasn't completely overtaken with weeds by the time you we were out of lockdown? No, no, no. I mean, we 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 uh, definitely abided by the rules. Um, but as part of the daily recreation, I could walk through and make sure things were working. And then, as we moved down the levels, we had to sort of put in different protocols to 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 manage situations. So, like for our compost operation, we made it um, touchless, right? So we were able to actually do that, and we had to put various constraints and restrictions on use of the gardens. But it was all look in the end, it was all actually fairly manageable. And uh, you know the gardens were actually, I think, to be frank, they were probably quite happy to be left alone for a little bit, <laughs> just do a bit of relaxing and, and let nature take over. So uh, that was really nice to see. Bubble sprite of the forest of Orakunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mei aroha nui, kia koutou whaha. I hope you're all happy, stay beautiful, superstar, love the universe. I really hope you're using this journey you're going to be. We will be sustaining and illuminating for you and who you are. Because nature's perfect, we're here making thank you. So as we know, intense to all, so much learning. We've all been here supporting and we still are. And not only are we doing this in the global but we've been doing this for billions as a species, several thousand. So super excited to be here together right here, right now. And I really hope for you, whatever is happening, whatever you are taking, you're feeling reported. So as we head towards the end of the year, of course, time to be thinking about how we want to carve ourselves this way. We're very full on to everybody at the time of year. And it is important that we take the time for ourselves each day to recharge and replenish our energy sources in whatever way works best for you. So as we know, throughout the year, excuse me, I've had each month with a different name, calling December, me-sember, as a reminder us to us all that each important to do some self-care practice. And this has really been brought home to me as I've been quite around over the last several days. And I think this is just a result of being really worn out. And I do have lots of events come this week work. It's important taking this seriously and doing all that care that I need. So I hope that for you, whatever you're coming up, 
as time goes on, we're getting more and more familial interaction, more and more time with whānau. We have all, all of these wonderful moments, I hope, of relaxation pose forward to really hope it can be really successful for you. You can find ways to care for yourself and pace yourself next few days and weeks. And as we head into the festive season, I hope that you'll be able to take some for yourself each day in the midst of all the hustle and bustle of family gatherings and take that time to really check in with yourself and see how you're feeling. I know for all of us had lots of ups here and part of working through that and part of growing and changing and developing and allowing ourselves to feel whatever we're feeling knowing that it's safe, knowing that's part of who we are. When we allow ourselves to feel, we feel that energy or that life force moving through our body in different ways, that we feel peaceful about it, we feel safe with it. And we know that this is why we're here. We're here to feel, we're here to co-evolve, we're here to help you to love each other. So I really hope that for you, as I'm towards the end of 20, this month of December can be really nourishing and nurturing for you. And at a time we are really inclined towards thinking about meeting the needs of others that we meet our own needs first and foremost so that we can be there for others and i'll look forward to talk tomorrow thanks so much you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with tim packer in wellington we've seen lots of societal level changes over the last few months what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick um well, that's a really deep question, Sam. <laughs> I, I would um, like to think that this um, culture of be kind will stick, right? I think we can all keep each, cut each other a break. Um, I think what will also stick is that we'll all be a little bit more flexible, hopefully, right? Um, those are sort of the key things that I think could stick. Uh, in terms of the work environment, I think, you know, that we'll always look to be more resilient um in such ways that we can carry on um when some of these stresses and shocks hit us it's interesting that be kind message i think it was designed as a be kind to your neighbors but Mm. it morphed into being kind to yourself that that it's okay if you don't have uber productivity because you're surviving a pandemic Mm. but also people I think are seeing it as a be kind to the planet that 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 message that had such resonance is managing to have a wider impact uh, yeah and I, I I do have a lot of optimism for that because uh you know we've got COVID now but climate change is coming up really fast behind us and it's a hundred times bigger so um I think there's there's a greater realization on that, and isn't it just nice over the most recent weeks to see that we're you know announcing climate emergencies, and uh, you know we've got governments coming into place that can actually you know make things happen. So I also see recognition of that at industrial levels, which is is really nice to see. So that it's becoming more of a matter of survival, and I don't want to get all dark and bleak because I think there is a lot of cause for optimism, and. Uh, that culture of kindness to communities and to the environment is, is, is should see us through. There's no doubt about it, right? So what lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic response for those bigger sorts of questions, climate change or social inequity, the sorts of things that's taken us a long time to to cause and will probably take a long time to fix? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I heard a podcast last night. Um, it was a climate change podcast and what they said that, during lockdown in China, um, we pretty much got emissions worldwide down to the level that would actually cut us down to, I think, two degrees, right? Um, so within a matter of weeks, the world actually made that happen. It's possible, right? And um, I think what we learned from COVID was that we can actually adapt very quickly and we can collaborate very quickly to make the right things happen. So, you know, that's just a really positive lesson for us. Uh, and when it starts to talk about climate change, because climate change and, and and all of those topics at an individual level are very hard to grasp and they're very hard to actually approach. But, um, you know, with greater collaboration across lots more people, we can make things happen. It doesn't start on Tuesday, though. 
for for the pandemic it was it was very obvious to say we could say this thing starts on wednesday otherwise you're all going to die mm. some of us mm. climate change is, is is sneaking up on us slowly in such a way that we can't say that so i, I think there's there's the the overwhelming problem that is really hard at a personal level to actually approach but actually the way I look at that is that we can all approach this individually and 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 the power of the consumer and the power of the individual um, at a collective level can uh, affect the cultural change that can make sure that we don't forget about these things right so I, I think that's absolutely vital and um, you know at an individual level we can all think about um, what actions we can take, but also what conversations we actually have to try and promote that culture. Do you think we'll see, looping back to your, your day job, do you think we will see, or maybe you are seeing, developments in finance software and so on that take mm -hmm. the bottom line seriously might be a start? Do you think, are you seeing that sort of thing happening? Yes. And I think um, we're seeing larger companies take things like integrated reporting very seriously. So, you know, they're putting that into their um, board meetings and their code of conduct and such like, um, which is promising because we know, you know, at a global level, it's the, the biggest companies that are causing the most issues, right? Um, so we are seeing that. We're also seeing um, big chunks of impact investment. So you're talking about, you know, uh, the few wealthy families across the world that are actually starting to put serious money into impact investment that can then affect change. And that is, um, you know, at an economic level, but but very much an environmental social level, right? So, uh, yeah, I, again, I think there's good cause for um, optimism because I think we're starting to see the realisation and the action, more importantly, on those things at a global scale, right? If you could wave a magic wand and have a miracle occur, what would you have computing do to make the world a better place? <laughs> I don't know, Sam. I really don't. It's such a hard question. Uh, Jesus, mate. I, I, um, I, I just think empower more people, right? And and maybe that's the thing, right? I, what what really worries me, Sam, is that we've got a growing gap between the very rich and the very poor. So, if it were a magic wand that happened at the technology level, it would be for the very poor, so that they can be empowered, they can be part of the conversation. Um, you know, they they can they can pursue meaningful lives um, as well as anyone else, and and. Uh, you know, I think that would be a stunning thing, right, for the rest of the world. Yeah, and I think that it takes it beyond that drive for making everything efficient to recognise that these are value decisions that we're making. And because they're value decisions, then it needs to be empowering. It needs to, as you say, empower more people. It needs to, you know, what can we do to engage vulnerable people in these decisions? Yep. Yep, and and um maybe move away from you know um, gross domestic product as a measure of 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 health and wealth, and and really start focusing on more holistic approaches that include economics, like donor economics and such like. Right, I think those are certainly the ways to go, and they have to they have to all those conversations have to be balanced. You know, you can't have one dominating the other, and that includes um you know it includes environment, includes social wealth, and includes economics. Right. I think one of the benefits of the pandemic, to look for a silver lining, is that two or three years ago, when they announced the government announced the well-being budget, the response that they got was, "Oh, yeah, that's all very nice, but where's the money?" And I think in the pandemic, it's clearly shown that you can't have a, an economy without healthy people. And yep. it's really shown that that well-being has got legs. Mm, I agree with you, 100%. So are you seeing well-being coming through as, as, a, as an indicator on, on finance software? Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, what we're seeing is the what finance software can do is actually um, – 
it, it, it can bring the power of finance to more people, you know, and, and I know that sounds a little strange, but things like finance software can actually change the game in terms of stakes for people, right? No longer are we heading to the bank, and, and I know there's a big uproar right now about, you know, retail banks, right? But maybe with um, finance software, we can reach every home rather than have to, you know, trundle 10 miles down to the bank. Um, so so there's no doubt that there's some um, adjustment that needs to happen, and that's at a multi-generational level, um, you know, but, but I... I you know, finance software can also enable really powerful ways of collaborating that can actually approach change, right? So, you know, there are so many ways, again, they are just tools, but I think those tools are more, becoming more and more easy to actually develop and build, so they're becoming more accessible. Let's take Dave Dobbin, welcome home. Why this one? Oh, I just love Dave Dobbin. He, he's an old family friend of ours. My, my brother and Dave went to school together back in the day, so, so we know Dave fairly well. Um, haven't seen him for a long time, but, uh, you know, every time we play a Dave Dobbin song, it reminds me of my childhood. So it's a, it's a really nice place.
So Kylie, who put us in touch, said, ask him about mushrooms. So here I am asking you about mushrooms. Right. Uh, I, I just love mushrooms. I've been growing um, vegetables for 20 or 30 years now, right? And um, discovered mushrooms about 10 years ago, and they just seem so weird and, and, and strange. And um, what I've been working on a lot lately is, is growing some native um, and, or, and or endemic strains of oyster mushrooms. So they've recently been... Um, identified and, and, and now there's supplies for that sort of grain spawn. And I've been working on effectively um, backyard growing systems. And, and that's one of the things that we're doing in terms of research at the community garden is how we develop uh, systems that people can use in their own backyards. And, and mushrooms are just a, a stunningly cool way to actually grow protein in your own backyard without too many tools. And um, jeepers, they're just, just amazing and they're very tasty. So. Uh, you know, I've been growing a lot of them more so. I've been eating a lot of them. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just, um, I think it's a whole whole new field that we can make more accessible to the general public, just like growing herbs, right? Is it something that we can get started in by ourselves or do you need to buy one of those kits? Um, you can start with kits. Kits are kind of like the end of the process and the more you learn, you can sort of get, further back into the process so that you can actually start just by buying what's called grain spawn or, or, or um, mycelium, which is an HR, you know, those sorts of things, and then take it to yourselves. It, it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a procedure and a practice, and once you know how to do that for a particular type or strain of mushroom, then um, it's, it's not too hard, and it's actually really rewarding. So... Uh, you know, uh, uh, and what we're trying to do is sort of package up those systems in such a way that we can run workshops for the community so they can just come to a workshop, learn how to grow those um, mushrooms and then um, take it home with them, right? Um, we're using mushrooms in quite a lot of different ways at the garden. So um, over the years, we've used it to bioremediate soil and remove toxins and we're also um, integrating field mushrooms, uh, cultivated ones into our gardens as well so that we sort of get a nice mix of uh you know different vegetable and mushroom fungi crops is it something that integrates into the into the garden or do you have a, a space specially for it for some you need special growing environments so you know you have a grow tent and you have humidifiers and, and oxygenators and, and that is, it sounds a little complicated but once you get the, the general understanding it's actually fairly easy to do but there are also some, um, there's one uh, mushroom king called Kingstrophia, which is a, a really nice um, burgundy mushroom that uh, grows in mulch piles. And you can integrate those into your gardens. And um, I believe it's, uh, there's a chap named Paul Stamets, who's probably the king worldwide of, of mushroom cultivation. And he did research that showed that when you grow Kingstrophia with certain crops, it actually enhances the, um, the the growing of those crops, uh, you know, so that I think what it generally does is make uh, more nutrients and minerals more bioavailable to the actual plants themselves. So, you know, we're just learning, and, and I think science is showing that um, how more interconnected we are, uh, you know, with the things under the ground as opposed to things over the ground. So, you know, in terms of agricultural practice and regenerative practice, um, you know, fungi are it's just one of those undiscovered territories. You know, it's like, um, uh, and, and, and it's in such a way that, you know, we can actually work with it to grow our own produce, but also work with it to actually, you know, grow those uh, ecosystems and support the microbial life under the soil. Is it difficult? Like, is, is it, my son used to have tropical fish, and it, it seemed to be, I think he liked it, both from the caring aspect, but also from the, the technical challenge of, of managing all the different chemical and levels and so on. Yeah. Yep. Is it similar to that? Yes. I, I think uh, it is a technical practice, right? And when I first encountered it, it was a bit like dark matter. You didn't really know what it was. We couldn't measure it we didn't know what to do with it um but actually you just got to dive in there and start somehow and that's why some of those growing kits are quite useful uh 
and you do have to come up with a sort of technical procedure. You have to watch, ster um, you know, sterility because it has to be, you have to basically culture it just for that particular fungus, whereas there's lots of other competing microbes in there. So you have to set up conditions and um, scenarios that are generally sterile. But, but um, look, I'm, I'm growing these things in a, in a in a hundred year old shed in uh, uh, in a backyard and and um, I don't honestly see why anyone with um, a bit of enthusiasm and a little guidance can't do it in their own backyard. To be frank, I have some questions to end the show with. Mm. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, I I'd probably have to say this research project, the Village Garden project. It's been a a stunning collaboration between a um, really interesting group of people across Victoria University, Wellington City Council and Community Garden Networks. And, and um, we instigated the project and two years on, we've delivered most of the research and now we're compiling it. And the company I work for, you do, is now building a website with a bunch of web app tools that we can then help other gardens um, approach it, even if they've only just got um, limited technical capability. It's a way that they can tell their own story about gardens. So that's going to be, for me, um, a really satisfying thing. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? <laughs> that's a great intro, Sam. Uh, I, w I would maybe just... Um, a uh, bit of stubbornness, I think, would be one, and maybe just the ability to bring people together around the cause. I think that might be maybe the uh, the superpower, perhaps. But I wouldn't call it a superpower. It's just being stubborn. But that's the point, isn't it? That none of these <laughs> things are superpowers. No. No, we've all got superpowers, right? Yeah. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yeah, but a practical one. I, I've um, I've always said, uh, I, you know, I, I I generally don't in the gardening world. I won't listen to anyone that doesn't have dirt under their fingernails, right? And and uh, I hold myself up to the same standard. So if I haven't done it, I'm not going to talk about it, right? Um, you know, we don't want uh, the world's, you know, the world's ha is the world's a good place with um, activism, you know, absolutely. But I, I just want to make sure that any activism that I do is based on practical experience. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, oh, I think it would just have to be happiness. It's all, and, and happiness for me comes from doing some of that stuff. And what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, that would be coming up this Saturday. I've got karate grading and uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm really scared, Sam. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it, I've been training for that for a while. So uh, it's coming up on Saturday. We'll just see how that goes, mate. You could always not do it and then you wouldn't get hit. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm contemplating running right now. But I think we'll, we'll, we'll at least get to the floor. Let's put it that way. You could go and talk to some potatoes instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they generally don't talk back, that's for sure. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh, yeah, go and put your hands in the soil, right? And uh, there's lots of ways that putting your hands in the soil can make you feel really good and really empowered and you'll meet lots of cool people. So do that. I'll do. Thank you very much for joining me. We'll go out to Groovamada Suntoucher. Thanks, Sam.
about to drop this right now for you. The original Sun Toucher. Letting you know what's up. It goes like this. This is what it is. SV, urban, organic, mic mechanic, superhuman MC powers help me fly around the planet. Touch the microphone device, whole countries get frantic. Saving damsels in distress so young girls don't panic. Put MCs under pressure till they crack like ceramic. I was thought they could flow, but sank like the Titanic. Rhymes rip through your skull like icebergs through the hull. Survive the impact and Arctic cold freezes your soul. Create a new style, then break the mold. Positions are controlled and liable to explode like landmines. My crew blow through like wind chimes. Make it hot like fire, 200 proof like moonshine. Whiskey, playing yourself is risky. And the flow's mad jazzy like Dizzy Gillespie. And the sound be harmonious and deadly. Like a harpy, call me the great one like Wayne Gretzky. No man can test me, so I try. Focus like a samurai, stronger than a mata. Or a tsunami, I mean tsunami. I rock it from MTV to the BBC. Radioactive waves short out your TV. Aliens be checking for me in the next galaxy. Put it in a time capsule till the next century. In a blackout, use it for electricity. Danger, high voltage. Dope fiends need their daily dosage. I break it down mathematically. 99.9 is the percentage. Like clothes and fine wine, the rhymes are vintage. And the universal will give me strength like spinach. Finish. I eat it like a tofu sandwich with cabbage. Ask your girl, she knows that I'm not the average nigga who claims to pull the trigger. Reality's the root of the rhymes that I can figure. Phony, baloney, swear that Don Coleone. But when shit hit the fan, they start crying like pretty Tony. Tender like Roni, but wish to be bad like Bobby. Been there, done that, smashed her rockin' rhymes. It's my hobby. You're probably like, what's he on? Cause I rock it from the start to the beat is gone. Not in the mafia. But I'm the microphone dawn And the words that I shoot out my mouth for Teflon Jeroo, never touch ya Microphone wrecker Leave out in the stretcher Step up in my sector Try to match wits But the mental will crush ya Jeroo, the damager The sun touch ya Peace to blowing bubbles positive conversations with people in their bubbles their safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we broadcast on otago access radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie this is groove amada sun toucher I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I was joined by Tim Packer in Wellington. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.